This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 101 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality community from right here in Orange County, where the show is based, to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode. I'm your host, Croft McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. Thank you, as always, to my friend, Allie Coyle, who provides music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. As a reminder, if you enjoy the show, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review if you are listening on free feeds. It helps other folks discover it as well. You can share it on social, etc. You can go to TheBestSeats.com for more content just like this, including blog posts and more. But do not forget that for the very best experience, you only find that over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the best seats by signing up at a monthly amount that makes the most sense to you, whether it's $2, 15 whatever it is. That is the only place to get early ad-free listening, exclusive access to the bonus episode, and more tons of other content over there on Patreon. For episode 101, very, very excited to be sitting down with Chef Joffrey Alfa of Butcher's House up in Costa Mesa. Um, if you've not heard of it, well... I don't know what you've been doing because this place has blown up onto the scene. It's about 10 months old at the time of this recording. If you're listening to it a little bit later, maybe it's at its one year anniversary, but it basically opened late kind of you know, late last year, December ish. You know, it's kind of a quiet time for restaurants. Most places are already kind of in their holiday push. And then obviously January, everything kind of gets pretty slow, even parts of February, depending on where you're at, depending on the area. Butcher's house wasted no time earning recognition as best kind of new restaurant from various publications. It's gotten write-ups from a ton of various publications, and rightfully so. It fills a very interesting gap in the market here. You have your high-end restaurants. Yes, you have your kind of, and this is not a knock against them, but you have like your lower-end you know, kind of mom and, uh, mom and pop, smaller places. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying they're smaller. We're not talking like white tablecloth and kind of high-end fine dining. What we don't really have a lot of here is kind of a middle ground. You're lacking that place that is nice, and but it's also relaxed. And the food is fantastic, but it's also not over the top. And just some place that you can go and you can have a great lunch, a great dinner, a great experience. That middle ground of restaurants is something that is hard to find. Uh, very few cities do it very well. I would say maybe San Francisco, Chicago are very good at it. San Francisco, especially in my mind. Um but what Butcher's House does and what Chef Alpha does is he fills that gap beautifully. It is a French kind of bistro inspired, but this is not where you're getting your traditional steak frites anyway, although you will get a fantastic cut of meat. It's definitely not kind of your traditional laissez-faire, old school, old school kind of bistro that you could very easily do here in the States and people would kind of eat it up because that's what they assume a French bistro is. This is very much inspired by his upbringing, what he likes to do. You know, his father was a butcher. All of his time kind of spent here in the States, and this is really an amalgam of his experience. He's presenting something really, really fantastic. 
I'm a huge fan of the restaurant. Um, I was so happy to be able to sit down with him and really dive into a lot of really, really fun things to talk about, including some things that are only on the bonus episode, which again, I'm sorry if you're listening on free feeds, but some of the fun stuff I do hold for that. But regardless, uh, 101 is a really, really fun episode, kicking things off in a big way after episode 100, obviously. And I cannot be happier to have this episode to present to you. So enough. I'm not going to waste your time anymore. Real quick, hit pause, go make a reservation because you need to eat at this restaurant. And you're about to find out why in episode 101 of the Best Seats podcast featuring chef owner of Butcher's House in Costa Mesa, Chef Joffrey Offer. Enjoy. Chef, I want to thank you for taking the time to sit down on the show. I'm very excited to be up here at the restaurant. Well, up here for me, depending on where everybody lives, maybe down there to the side. But very excited to talk because this is a restaurant that hasn't been around that long, but has really blown on the scene. And everybody I know has not had a bad word to say about it. But before we dive into talking about the restaurant, kind of your background and what got you here, would you mind introducing yourself and giving a little bit of that background? Sure. Well, thank you for coming. Uh, Joffrey Offer, owner of Butcher's House. Uh, we've been open now for uh, about 10 months. Mm-hmm. So we'll be on a year in December. And myself, I came the first time here in the state uh, about nine years ago. Nine years. Where did now, obviously from France, what part of France? Toulouse, southwest. Okay. When you first came over, your background, you jumped in, I want to say it was with Moulin, right? Well, not exactly. Uh, because I came the first time with my backpack pretty much and I landed in LA. Uh, and I kind of knocked doors, uh, trying to find my way in. So I had a tourist visa for three months, and I stayed about two months and knocked in a few doors. And, and really the first job I got was uh, was at Monsieur Marcel, when he just opened the store in Beverly Hills. Um, so worked there for a few events. Went back to France for a couple of months, came back here. Uh, and that second time that I came back, I stayed about four months. Uh, still worked a little bit along with Monsieur Marcel, but did a lot of uh, private events um, with clients in LA. And then at this moment, this is when uh, things were kind of going nowhere for me. Uh, and then I guess out of a good star, good luck, or however we want to call it, this is when I got to meet Laurent and, and then he was starting Moulin. So then we finally... Uh, talked and he, exp- I mean, explained the project of Moulin and says, okay, I'm just building it. So I came here to Ranch County for the first time, looked at the whole plan and it was all like tear down on the, on the ground pretty much. And he said, okay, well, if you want to be part of the team, you can come back and we open in September. So I came back in September and then we just opened. I mean, the story of that you hear a lot of the times is chefs going to Paris to work. That's kind of obviously one of the meccas. It's yeah. a station of the cross. When you really want to dive into deep culinary, people do that. But they go to Paris with the backpack and they knock on doors. Mm-hmm. What prompted you to come to Los Angeles and basically do the kind of reverse role? Well, I didn't come here because I wanted to cook in America. I came here because I wanted to be in America. Just more like a childhood dream, I would say. Um, and then I picked cooking in France and I guess cooking in France uh, allowed me to come here. So Butcher's House coming up on 10 months. I mean, yes. the restaurant has been wildly successful and well-received, rightfully so, since it opened. What was the catalyst to, before we kind of get into the accolades and kind of what makes the restaurant what it is, what made you want to venture kind of out on your own and open up your own space like this? Well, I guess ultimately I would have 
going to open my own place or, or, or my own business at some point. Um, but I would say what really triggered the, the moment where I decided to go on my own was, was the shutdown and, and the whole COVID thing. So COVID shuts down, obviously work changes for yeah. millions of people, but in a hospitality especially, it was yeah. one of those most deeply affected. Was it just something where you kind of saw, hey, maybe this is a time Changes happening all over the place. You obviously not the yeah. first person, the first person to be on the show to do that. A lot of people yeah, did yeah, sure. find kind of find that catalyst. Mm -hmm. Was it just that kind of drive of like, there's so much change and upheaval? Maybe now's my chance. Well, for me, it was pretty much the only moment that, that for for the last long years I had less work, pretty much. So that was the only moment where I was spending more time. Uh, with my own head, thinking about something different than just the actual walk right now. Um, and then I believe that COVID, uh, let's say, realigned certain bases. So uh, if you were the big guy, you were always the big guy. If you're the small guy, you're the small guy. Small guy cannot access uh, things that big guys can access, pretty much, you know. Uh, COVID reset the bar. And it hit so hard that the big guys were afraid to make moves. And, and the small guy like me, not afraid to make moves because worst case, I'm still a small guy. So <laughs> what, what worse can happen? You know what I'm saying? So, so what was the inspiration behind, first and foremost, for anybody who hasn't been to the restaurant, mm -hmm. describe it. Okay. Um, no pressure. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's always, it's funny because it shouldn't be challenging for me, but describing the restaurant is challenging for me because... Uh, to me, it's, it's a make sense uh, concept, but uh, not necessarily to everyone. Um, but I decided to go towards that direction, which if I have to do it in one line, it's a, it's a well done casual restaurant in, in a modern French brasserie atmosphere. So any kind of modern downtown restaurant you could get now in France. Uh, and we're pretty much focused on great meat and cook on wood burning. You mentioned kind of any place that you could go to in France now. There has been major upheaval probably in the last decade, maybe even 15 years in Paris, especially, but places like Lyon too, of yes. kind of French food is changing. It's kind of, it's been shifting. The, the kind of old white tablecloth, you know, massive dining rooms yes. are going away more and you exactly. are getting those more kind of casual upscale brasserie, but not in that traditional brasserie yeah, exactly. sense. You, know, you had places like La Vancontoire and you know, La Contoire and kind of the, some of these places mm -hmm. are really making names for themselves. Was any of that change kind of going on in France part of the inspiration yeah. for this? Yeah, well, and, and I'm on the younger side of, of uh, the chefs and, and yeah. owner. Um, and I think today you have to be aware that if you're not adjusting your way of walking, I mean, the way of doing restaurants are adjusting, I think, by no choice. Uh, the access to skilled staff, it's challenging. The access to staff alone is challenging. Yeah. Uh, the cost of operating a restaurant is super challenging. And now with all those things happening with COVID and, and, and wars and all those uh, cost of goods that are going super up, uh, you can have the best concept you want in your head, but if at the end of the day, if the, if the numbers doesn't match, you're not going to make it anyway. Um, yeah. So, so me going on that direction, uh, my point was to focus on, 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 on like one king element that would be the meat. So great meat, well-cooked, 
uh, with temperature and seasoning mastered, staying simple. Uh, now taking you into an environment that will make you feel like you're going downtown in France, but not as a tourist, you know, we're all saying, oh, but in France is like that, or in France, I went there, it was like that, but me, I am from France. I, I'm, and I, again, I'm a young chef finishing, let's say if I were in France right now, I'm a young chef finishing my dinner shift and with, with the crew we're saying, hey, let's go out, let's go hang out. Well, we're not hanging out in places where you eat escargot and onion soup. We're mm -hmm. going in like fun places, trendy places, modern places, where it is still France. It is still the authentic French food and the authentic chefs and, and the great product, but you're in a frame where you want to hang out, you want to have fun. You know, you, you're not pre-retired just eating your little supper at 4.50 yeah. and, 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 then, and then going home. Has the, I mean, the response to the restaurant since it's open, like I mentioned, has been huge. I want to say it was what Orange Coast gave it best new restaurant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. I mean, at almost 10 months old, that's a pretty big yeah, achievement. Yeah, it's pretty good. Has any of the success coming out the gate been surprising? A uh, little bit, and, and I've, I've been asked that before, but I, I guess uh, it's been 10 months and I'm starting now to get my head, let's say, out of the water, or I just opened the door and I put my head out. So when people tell me, hey, uh, there's a ward out, we talk about you, I, I don't really feel that me. Me, I just feel that I have to be here and, and make sure that I, I try my best to have consistency and, and the right product and serve the right way. So by you being here and telling me that then that's another point that makes me aware of that. So is it surprising? A, a little bit. Um, now I believe that the concept of the restaurant, it's something, uh, and I, I don't like to use that word too much, but I would say unique, but not unique in a sense that nobody can do it. Unique in a sense that uh, for a French place, uh, we're on that middle ground, which which is, I think, hard to find yeah. here in America. You either have the very casual French place, bakery, coffee, which is uh, usually counter service, or you have the full dining tablecloth, and that's a little too tight, I think, and, and, and a lot of younger generation or people that just want to go out won't necessarily go, and you go just for occasions. Uh, so my goal was really to try to bring something where everyone and anyone feel good to come and have a good time and not necessarily coming with uh, some kind of uh, intimidations. Oh, I'm going to a French place. Uh, how do I dress? Uh, uh, I have to make a reservation six months ahead. Not, not that, we just, it's okay. You can come with that reservation. You just say hi. You can just get a drink, get an appetizer, get a meat, uh, have, I mean, we'll, we'll grill it. You can share it with friends. It just, just casual, but well done with, yeah. with good product. Well, I mean, it is right. And it, I would even speak further to that, that I think Orange County alone, and I would say a lot of cities for the most part, suffer with filling that middle ground, right? Mm -hmm. You have your easy, fast, casual places, you know, sandwich shops, taquerias, things like that. And then you have your more high-end restaurants. Yes. But that middle restaurant ground is... It's hard. It's very hard. And, yeah. it, and it's one that's very thin and very few cities do it well. Not just to the point of making a place that does work kind of in that middle space, like you mentioned, but has there been any challenges translating the restaurant to customers? Because I think for so long, yes. and we talked about it being in Paris changing, yes. but this is not Paris. People are used to either the casual kind of yep. grab your morning pastry, coffee, something like that, or like you mentioned, that high-end white tablecloth. Yes. What's it been like translating to diners what the space is? Uh, yeah, you said it right. I think, I think there is definitely a challenge. Um, there is a challenge, I'll give you an example, and it's, it's hard for me to, to try to phrase it uh, without giving example, but um, maybe a couple of weeks ago, uh, 
I received an email from a customer that was probably half disappointed but half satisfied too about the place. Uh, but the main disappointment was to say uh, we were brought water to our table, but it wasn't poured to us every time the glass was empty. <laughs> and I, I just heard, I, I just you heard know, a collective sigh I, I, across the county. So, of, really? So, <laughs> so we bring we bring water to the table, but there isn't a server standing by you, the, the hour and a half you're here, re-pouring water with one hand in the back all the time. It, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. A- and the funny part of it is today in 2022, uh, labor is so high. Every cost is so high that if you want someone to be standing by you, pouring water to you, you're going to have to be in a fine dining tablecloth, the kind of environment you probably won't go. Or then you go to a super casual and then you grab your water out of a, a cool fridge and then you pay at the register and then nobody's going to pour it either. So we're trying to find that in between, but a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah. A lot of people expecting to sit at a restaurant and have someone pouring water over, over and over, which is not necessarily the case. And even if you go to France tomorrow, it's not necessarily going to happen. Do you think some of that is just diners not being used to a space like this? Or, and I've been hearing this from other chefs as well, that the habits of diners have kind of changed during COVID. People either expect that hyper casual or that attention to service. What I really, really think, I think some diners should, shouldn't be diners. They should be home. That's Good for what you I for really saying think. that. Good for you for <laughs> I, saying I that. Think, I think some diners shouldn't be called diners and they should just not dine. Yeah. <laughs> if you want an honest answer. That's, then, that's exactly what I wanted. That's uh, perfect. A, a diner should be someone that is going to a place just like you would go to an art gallery. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I use that all the time. If I go to an art gallery tomorrow and, and you're a painter and there's 20 of your paintings... Uh, and your style is black and red, let's say, and you use paint with your hand, and I come and I say, okay, uh, I would buy your painting only if you spray paint yellow all over it. Can you do it and I buy it? You'll be like, no, this is my art. Well, but I, I, I like yellow, and, and, I really, and I'm paying for it, so put yellow on it. And, and it sounds absurd, right? Everybody will say, well, no, it doesn't happen like that in art galleries. Well, the restaurant is the same. Yeah. This is my art. We're bringing food. We're bringing a certain way. Now we can, yes, we can. I mean, we're listening to guests and we're here to serve them and we want to provide good service. But, but to a certain extent, you know, there is a concept and there's a lot of work into it and the staff being trained and, and there is uh, a, a system that has to be put in place in order to be consistent and do a good job. And this is probably the hardest challenge it is in the restaurant industry. Uh, now, if you have diners that comes in with certain expectation and not coming in in order to discover your place and say, hey, let's go there and let's enjoy, let's look for the best out of it. But they come in with expectation and, and they're, they're aiming at you for the little mistake you're going to do and like, oh, no, this is not it. You shouldn't be like that. Yeah. So, and, and those diners, I, I think they should stay home yeah. and order takeout. I don't disagree. The one that kind of comes in expecting that every restaurant is bespoke, built for them. And that's just not the case. So, so I think for those kind of diner was the most challenging on translating the concept. Uh, and, that, and that to go back on your original question. But now, I mean, thankfully, we have a lot of customer that comes in and, and they're excited to see the place. And, and we talk to them and they, and they see it. And, and, and I think after coming and, and looking at what we do and trying the experience, I think they understand. And... and they find it different than they've, what they've had before, and I think it works. I think it's a perfect analogy. I think there's plenty of restaurants you could look at that eventually, 
go beyond just a space where you want to eat and they do fall somewhere in between is it a restaurant is you know for some people it can be an art installation it's an expression of yourself ultimately mm-hmm. and you're talking about a creative process especially the art of a chef or a beverage director something like that you're creating something for that customer to experience the way that you intended it so i think it's a perfect analogy that being said what drove you to meat specifically because you guys i mean everybody it's a question that i get asked the most yeah. what's your favorite steakhouse and this one always comes up but that term steakhouse is so not yes. the way to describe it no but yeah. you guys do meat unbelievably well here what was it that drove you to kind of make that your kind of hill you're like i'm gonna do this really really well well i i, I think the result of the restaurant is it's i took all the the tops uh Everything that I enjoyed the most on the past on my past fifteen years of experience mm-hmm. and and everything that marked me uh, the most in my experience, I try to combine it everything in that restaurant. So I grew up uh, in France and I've been to bistro and brasseries and bars and and all those things on my personal time. Then I I did my apprenticeship and I worked on a on a on a white cloth super nice French restaurant, very traditional. And that same owner, uh, so my first boss, also had brasseries in Toulouse. Um, and after my apprenticeship, I then worked in a brasserie. Um, lots of hours, super hard, uh, like big, big dedication. Yeah. Um, and just like everyone, I kind of questioned myself a little bit. Uh, is that really what I want to do? You know, you, you, we all go through that. Every chef, I guess, goes through that. Uh, and then after France, I, I moved to Asia a little bit. And over there, I, I actually met someone that was building a, a training school uh, with a restaurant included into it. So then I did a lot of training and, and, and like, like culinary programs we worked on pretty much. Yeah. Um, so I did that for a year. And then I said, okay, now it's time. I feel ready. It's time for me to go to America and I want to live my dream pretty much. And when I came here, uh, I, I was willing to do a pretty much almost any job, but I've, I've seen restaurants, I've seen casual restaurants, I've seen catering, I've done weddings, I've done all of that. Uh, and then meeting Laurent with Moulin was pretty much a first foot into a, to a more casual and, and a bakery-oriented places. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I started Moulin. Uh, Moulin became, grew fast and big. Uh, and I was lucky to be part of it and, and, and to be in charge of all back of the house. So uh, now my experience become a lot more of a managerial, a lot of management and a lot of observation on, on what could work for the people and how can we make it more efficient and, and better and more consistent. Um, and then COVID hit and, and now I'm, I'm finding myself uh, wanting to be in a space where I can regroup everything that I like the most. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to find back my original uh, memories of France and those little places on a, on a, on a more woody tone and um, as, as for the decor and, and be in a French environment. Uh, now going back to the white tablecloth and all those plates with 25 manipulations on it and, and, and crazy prep work and crazy stuffing in the kitchen, which you can find anyway. Uh, I said no. Uh, and I grew up around meat because my dad's a butcher uh, since, since he was walking forever. So uh, growing up in a house of a butcher, mm-hmm. with a butcher, with a dad butcher, going into a very uh, traditional French restaurant trainings and then coming to America and understanding the concept of more fast casual and, and staying 
close to doing a very good job with good product. Uh, then I said, okay, I'm going to focus into meat, uh, into a, a nice, modern, uh, trendy and warm uh, French environment. Uh, and I'm going to try to give that to, to the American public and the local public because this, and this is where I feel home anyway. So, um, and, and why the meat exactly? Uh, because I think meat is great. It, it turns me on, you know, when, when, when if I tell you, hey, uh, Sunday uh, we'll have, come to my house, we'll have a, a rebuy and I have wet, red wine and we'll have pate and we'll have, I have tons of steak. We're going to grill it and, and slice it and eat it with potato and a nice sauce. It sounds good to me. Yeah. Well, it's time for a little commercial. Yeah. I don't know about you, but 2020 had me re-looking at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potager comes in. Heirloom Potager designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef. Owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotager.com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, potager, P-O-T-A-G-E-R.com today. Once again, that's heirloom potager. If you listen to the best seats at all or read the content, then you know the motto, live well and often. But what does it mean? In layman's terms, it's trying to give you the best products, places, experiences, and more, so you can put a big smile on your face every single day. Amass Botanics is what I use on my back bar constantly if I need a cocktail or a quick pick-me-up. Any of their other botanical products, like candles, hand sanitizer, and more, also helps to set the mood. Now, I'm a big fan of everything that Amass does. I have been since day one when they launched their trademark gin, and everything they've done since then has been nothing short of excellent. Now you can get your hands on their products at a discounted rate by going to amass.com and using the discount code, the best seats 15, that's C-E-A-T-S, at checkout. Now it's limited one per customer, so make sure you load up. But trust me, you can't go wrong with anything they're doing. I stand by Amass 100%. They're one of my go-to brands for spirits needs or anything around the house. So again, Go to amass.com, that's A-M-A-S-S, and use the code THEBESTSEATS15 at checkout. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. Good to me. Yeah, it so, does. I'm looking forward to getting your address and a text after this so I can show up and do that because that sounds pretty perfect. <laughs> <Hold> <laughs> um, I want to ask about the relationship between, because obviously one of the biggest issues in restaurants right now is sourcing, right? Yes. As things have escalated. Yes both you know, politically, you know, kind of conflictingly over in Europe and things like that, prices have continued to go up, mm -hmm. especially for restaurants. Uh, I've had multiple chefs on recently talk about their experiences 
for whatever reason, scallops are always the example that get used because they've just gone up 150% or something like that. But as the son of a butcher, that's a very intimate relationship, you know, especially back in smaller towns. I was fortunate enough to have this experience on the East Coast, but a butcher by profession is something very, very rare out here. Yeah. And it changes your relationship with the product and it changes your relationship with cooking that product. Mm -hmm. How do you go about kind of sourcing the meats that you use out here? Because again, you don't generally have that person on the corner that no. you can kind of rely on to be like, hey, I need this. Right, perfect. I'll get it next week. And you can yeah. watch it, have a conversation while they break it down. Yeah. So what's that relationship for you like sourcing the meat? Well, that's something if I have to say that, that I'm missing something here at the restaurant, it would be that having those little butchers, I mean, smaller businesses that that can source uh, like specific meats and 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 rare meats and and you know unusual so that's that's one thing that be missing but but i believe that as the restaurant's going to is going to develop and stuff it's going to open door uh, to me uh, to connections and and more knowledge and i believe at some point i will find it because i believe in america there's great great beefs and and great meat uh, i just have to find it uh now i'm i'm fortunate because uh, with the six years plus that I did at Moulin, I worked with one uh, meat suppliers and, and he's great and, and I'm still working with the same. So we really have a good connection and he knows I want to do a high quality and, and good product. So so he can source a lot of good product for me and, I, and I'm keeping that. And so I'm not uh, I'm not feeling like I, I don't have support on that side and I pretty much can access to almost whatever I want. Uh, now, Price is always going to be a challenge. Yeah. Uh, prices come, I mean, today compared to two years ago, it's a huge challenge. Uh, now some people are going to tell me, okay, just raise your price, but you, you can't just raise price. I mean, at some point uh, you can raise price. I mean, you can, technically you can, but then if your restaurant is empty tomorrow, because you have to understand that uh, not everyone can just afford everything. Uh, then that goes against my concept. You know, my point is that I want to, I want that everyone feels comfortable to be able to come. Yeah. Uh, whether it's to get a burger that is nicely made or, or a hanger steak or, or going all out with, with a dry aged bone in rebite that, that we do. And I want it to be okay for everyone to be able to come. And, and if, if someone cannot afford that much, then maybe they're going to share something nice and maybe they're going to come once a month and not once a week. The prices of just getting something on the menu aside, building out the menu, um, some of the fear that you know you kind of look around and this was happening a lot before the pandemic with all the restaurants that were opening is especially in places just southern california as a whole there was a very there was a sameness on a lot of the menus it seemed a lot of the menus really looked similar you'd see yeah. similar dishes things like that yeah you know are there any dishes that and it's kind of a two-part question are there any dishes you felt like you had to put on your menu to appease diners and then are there any dishes that you really want on the menu and maybe you're a little hesitant yes well, <laughs> perfect yes. answer <laughs> uh yes i agree i mean most and, and that's something i first noticed when i came nine years ago and i still notice it today uh the trends is the trends are the same everywhere so the menu is I feel like there's a, a corporate Google for cooks in California and, yeah. and they, they design menus and then every restaurant takes it, but they use, just use different plates, uh, different dishes, and then uh, different microgreens on it or different powder that they put around the plate. Yep. And then, um, so I definitely think that uh, every restaurant should have, uh, must have a certain item because people expect that. Uh, in my case, it would be the French onion soup. Uh, 
uh, for the little story I have never made in a restaurant before a French onion soup before I came to America. <laughs> never. I believe that. Yeah. Uh, and the other day I was here with uh, friends were here at lunch and they were coming back from France and they say, it's interesting. Everybody here is talking about French onion soup, but we went to France and we went to a very touristic restaurant and there was a French onion soup on the menu and it's the first time I see it in France. I completely believe o- that. Onion yeah. soup is very old school. I mean, the, the only moment I've done onion soup in France, me, it was, it was Saturday night uh, or Saturday early morning at 4 a.m. after a party with your family and, <laughs> and you're doing that because everybody's hungry at 5 a.m. after <laughs> yeah. partying and you do the onion soup at home. But in a restaurant, not really, you know. So I definitely this is the, the ingri- I mean, the item on the menu that has to be here. Uh, now is there dishes that I would like to do, but I feel like it would be a challenge? Yes. Um, there's one that it will come soon. I, I'm still working on it. Uh, but for example, I want to do pork feet. Yeah. Pork feet. The uh, pied de cochon. Pied de cochon. Yeah. Um, We'll do it nice. I mean, we'll do it all deboned and, and stuff with a nice sauce. But once you put pied de cochon and pork feet on the menu, delicious. Uh, yeah, I guarantee you that very few people will be like, "Oh, yeah, sure, let's try it." See now, for anybody that's, listening, that's a I'm going to come running as soon as you hear <laughs> yeah. that. So if you're like flavor in any way, you'll be right alongside. Yeah, I, classic dishes like that, classic flavors like that. I don't know why they're so hard to translate to the American palate, and I think it's just the fact that we just did not grow up. Most of yeah. us did not grow up experiencing those dishes. I think so, and I, I mean, and maybe it's too early, maybe it's gonna take time. And I, I also think that some restaurant maybe should, should risk it more, and, and, and uh, you know, and then it goes back to having a staff trying to, to uh, educate as much and, and comfort the customer saying, hey, it's, don't worry, it's great. Like, there's no pig running out in the back. We didn't chop his food right there, and we put him <laughs> in the grill. Well, certainly wouldn't be you. running, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is, uh, so I, and yeah, and then it's a cultural thing too. I mean, we grew up, uh, grew up with it, uh, just like we grew up with wine, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And 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 if you look at wine in America, it's still fairly new. I mean, fifty years ago, yeah, there's probably barely any wine drinker. But uh, today, it's becoming big. So I'm glad you brought up wine because you can't talk about a French restaurant without bringing up wine. Mm-hmm. There's so many assumptions and, and I have friends who are wine writers that kind of hate some of these things where because you opened up this type of restaurant, you must only carry these types of wines or these regions or certain things like that. You know, talk about your bar program here a little bit and kind of how you built that out. Well, I, my main knowledge on wine is French wine. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I drink pretty much every day. I drink French wine and I grew up with that. Um, so when we started 10 months ago, we had a very, I would say, a small wine list, which is still the same right now. I mean, about the same. And we're actually changing by the end of this week. Everything's ready. It just needs to be printed. Uh, but we had about 20 wines and about four by the glass. Um, and because it was the beginning of the restaurant and, and you know, you can't go too crazy. Uh, so it was well-selected. Uh, and oriented toward a certain focus uh, with the, the principal whites and reds. Uh, now we're growing the wine list and we're adding about 25 references, uh, still all French, mm-hmm. but with a, a wider range on, on the lower end and the higher end. Uh, we're going to have beautiful wines. And the late addition we did 
to to the to the bar program we added uh some french vermouth lily that because we i want to develop a little bit of the, the cocktail the new form of cocktails you yeah. know now we're doing uh, like soft cocktails uh we're not a full liquor restaurant uh so it's kind of those lower like abv yes, type of drinks lower like, ABV, a, like a pastis to and, 20 yeah. 24 uh not necessarily pastis but now i mean you have some that are made out of agave wine some are made out of uh, sa- uh sake infused mm-hmm. liquor okay so we we're, we're starting to play around with that um and and that's the very beginning of it i, I think in a year from now we'll be a little more developed uh but my main focus is still wine um i think when you come here at butcher's house and and with the food you're having and everything i think wine is the perfect match yeah uh, i'd agree and, and i think there's wine is so much uh wide in, into uh, diversity and and you can get from fruity whites to very uh acidic white to very crisp white and then same for the red fruity red deeper red strong red older i mean i think wine is great i really like and enjoy wine um so that's that's a second challenge that i, I would say i'm trying to take on and, and try to have people come here and, and and trust the process on enjoying the wine with the food and and there'll be no regret uh, yeah and and we, I, we do see a challenge. I mean, there's a lot of people that come in here and they, they don't see the full liquor and hard liquors and, and their favorite old fashions and everything. So we kind of, I would say, put a little break on it. But um, again, I, I believe uh, over time, people will get to understand exactly what we do. Uh, we're getting more comfortable doing it. Uh, we're going to bring new things. New wines are coming. I want to do uh, like special wine dinners and stuff to educate people. And I, I believe... There's a way to have a good, uh, good time. I agree. Wine in California, it, well, I guess as it relates to Californians or those that live here, is an interesting battle. I once heard uh, an Irishman talk about Irish whiskey, and he said anybody that wants to talk about it is going to be an expert that knows nothing about anything but is an expert anyway. And in California, <laughs> it kind of seems that way with wine sometimes. People yes. look around and <laughs> you're like, oh, no, no, I only drink this. It's a fantastic wine. Yeah. And you're like, but there's so many other producers yes. and varietals and types and regions. Do you kind of, do you ever run into that with yes. French? Yeah. Yeah. Immediately. I don't even have to finish the question. Yeah. yeah no, yeah. I, we run into, I mean, I, all the time. Uh, and, and we have customers that come here quite often and now we, we've developed a little relationship so I can talk to them a little more, but um, they always bring their own wine, yeah. California wine, because their favorite wine is that wine from Napa. And when I talk with them, they say, oh, we're a wine collector, we're wine lovers, uh, we love wine and everything about wine. So I ask, but how come you've never drink any French wine from here? They say, well, because we really like that. But to me, if you're a wine lover and your passion is around wine, automatically that should take you, should take you to French wine. Automatically, there's, there's, there's no other option. Because if you want to go deep into it, historically, it will go back, it will take you to France. Yeah. And okay, this is how this one started. This is how this one started. So how can you be a wine lover, but not drink French wine ever? Or at least and, appreciate and, it and or, at least yeah. understand it. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or try and go for it and be curious about it. So we, we do, uh, we do find that quite often. Yes. Yeah. Out of all the things that goes into opening a restaurant, which is never an easy task, whether it's putting together that bar program, sourcing, things like that. 10 months in, what's been the biggest kind of learning lesson of getting this place open? Well, once you 
once you pass all the challenges with construction, uh, because you believe you're going to see some, but you see more than you expect. Yeah. Um, then there's the hiring process. That's always challenging uh, because you know that whoever you hire at first, uh, 80% of them will be gone in three months. Yeah, that opening staff never uh, looks like the so, current one. So the opening staff is uh, here to take the training time and the fun and then... Uh, and then three months down the road, you redo uh, almost a new opening because it's new staff, uh, but you don't necessarily have that training time. Um, so these are the challenges that you have to do while the restaurant is open and, and you need to guarantee a certain consistency to the customer that trusts you and come in. So I would say that the main, uh, the main learning lessons, uh, and even though I was expecting that because I've done openings before, um, it's, it's really, you know, like my chef used to say, don't try to break bricks uh, all at once. Just try to build one at a time. Uh, so it's really, there's a lot of things I would have done more simpler, uh, just to allow me to be safer on consistency. And yeah. uh, I mean, not that we failed or anything, but I could have avoided like certain headache days uh, that, I, that I didn't avoid. Uh, but the main thing is stay true to the concept, I would say, today. Uh, and keep some ammunitions on improvement and development over time and it's okay if you open well uh even if you don't give the 100 percent of everything you want to show on that first week it's okay uh show well do good uh, explain to people that you're starting and that here's the concept here's the direction you want to go uh and then over the month uh, reinforce uh, your concept and go more into detail but at least every time you do a step forward, you don't have to do two step backward. Yeah. Very much. So almost a year in, 10 months, as we said, how do you feel about kind of where things are at overall, kind of personally with this new kind of trajectory and, mm -hmm. and kind of where the restaurant is at and how do things feel? I feel good. It feels good. Yeah. yeah. I feel good. Uh, satisfied. Uh, I go to bed and I sleep without worries. Really? So good. That, that's a big that's, thing to be able to do. Thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel good now with the staff. Uh, we've had our turnover. I mean, and there will always be turnover. I'm yeah. Not, it's not going to be a different here than anywhere else. But um, it feels good. And I believe that the projection I had of, of my idea, you know, the when you have a vision and having an idea and a vision and then making it uh, to apply to a product, it's there's a big bridge in between. And I believe that the product that's coming out of my vision, it's, it's actually very close to what I expected. So that's great to hear. I'm satisfied. Yeah. Um, chef, I want to keep you around for a bonus episode, which people can obviously find over on Patreon for anybody that subscribes over there. Um, but in the meantime, if people want to learn more about the restaurant, look into reservations, or as you said, just kind of walk in and try it for themselves if they have not, where can people find more information about kind of yourself and both the restaurant, whether it's websites or social media or things like website, that? Website, Instagram. Uh, so we have the website that's going to show you, uh, you're going to have the reservation widget. So on butchershouse.com. Um, and then most of the social media through Instagram, through me. So I'm doing as best as I could. So for any uh, new stuff or any messages that will go through Instagram, which is butchershouseoc. 
this is where you're going to find the most accurate uh, day-to-day news, I would say. Perfect. Well, Chef, like I said, we're going to keep you around for a bonus episode, but I want to thank you so much for the time for this main episode. Very, very excited. Not only, A, that you have kind of shared this vision and brought it to life because it's a restaurant that I'm a big fan of and I think we've desperately needed something like, but also obviously the continued accolades and just, yeah, raising a glass to your continued success. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Chef once again for taking the time, not just for the main episode, but for the bonus episode. Thank you to everybody that does support over on Patreon. You make this show possible each and every month. If you are listening on free feeds, thank you as well. All the support is welcome. Make sure you are leaving those reviews on free feeds. It helps spread the good word. Share it on your social media, etc. And if you're eating out at any of these spots, let me know. Tag the best seats on Instagram. I'm always there. I check all the DMs. I answer everything myself, all the messages, whether it's there, Patreon, etc. Anything that comes in, I will get back to you. I promise. And I hope that you are enjoying these spots. Very, very, very cool stuff on the horizon, including a new show. Uh, but before we get to any of that, obviously, thank you once again to Ali Coyle, who does the music for the show. Thank you to the advertising partners. And again, thank you for your support. It is so, so cool to be pushing past episode 100 into the future and onto the next 100 episodes and could not have done it once again without all of you. Go make that reservation to Butcher's House. Make sure to tip your waiters. Don't drink and drive. Be smart out there. Man, it's fall, but it doesn't feel like it. Still, we're cranking towards that all-you-can-eat season. You got to love it. Take care, everybody. I will see you soon. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. It's based in Orange County, California. It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash The Best Seats. The following are the names of those who subscribed at the highest monthly tier, aka norm status and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. Cheryl McCarthy, Serena Warino, George Pavlov, Eric Lutz, Paige Reardon, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk, Burrito No Rito, Sarah Hines, Subtle Bubbles, Jay Baker, Tim Swine, John Sanchez, Timothy. Thank you for your support.